This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the 2018 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 13 years. Today's episode brings you Identity and Access Management in Government. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack and during today's show we will be discussing progress being made with identity and access management programs in the federal government. With me on today's show are Amir Dastori, Identity Services Branch Manager, Homeland Security. Jay Brooks, Senior Executive for Identity and Access Management with the FBI. Colonel Tom Clancy, Director of Identity Management Programs, Department of Defense. Shane Cashdollar, Director of Federal Cybersecurity, KPMG. And Steve Schmaltz, Field Chief Technology Officer, RSA Public Sector. Well, this is certainly is a big subject. It's a, uh, a complex and complicated subject. So now that we have hybrid environments and cloud environments and multiple enclaves and no enclaves, and we've got 800 series and draft guidance out there and guidance from OMB being pulled back and sort of consolidated. And I think about some of this technology out there now, blockchain, but I also think about things like IoT, right, and, and robotic process automation and some of these bots where you have to identify them, right, as you're getting into a whole other enclave of identity here. So a uh, lot to talk about today. Let's start with you, Amir. Uh, <clears throat> tell us what's, uh, what's the state of the state with identity management over at Department of Homeland Security? Sure, Luke, thanks, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, Department of Homeland Security, we've made uh, good progress over the past year. Uh, picking off from where we were last year, uh, our access lifecycle management or identity governance effort has expanded over to the entirety of the management directorate and expanding the headquarters for our onboarding and offboarding process. This has really improved our ability to offboard, especially contractor access, by reviewing who's here, who's not here, removing the access when they're offboarded or when their contracts expire, yeah. making sure their PIV cards are revoked, their personnel securities are inactivated, and their network accounts are disabled, so cutting off access to all of our systems. From there, we're also going enterprise, expanding to FEMA as a second component using ALM. Our derived credentials effort and our mobile device management has also greatly uh, improved over the past year. Last time we talked about it, we were rolling it out. Uh, we were starting, and FEMA was using it during the hurricanes. Now we're at seven out of 10 components and about 72,000 derived credentials being used for strong authentication to email and to several web applications across the department. And our continuous diagnostics and mitigation effort, partnering with our MPPD partners, has rolled out to the enterprise and given us the ability to uh, report on unprivileged access throughout the entire department. And things like, are they suitable? Are they trained? And are they using strong authentication to access our network? And as we expand upon that, our attribute exchange service is also picking up new work, especially integrating with our training systems to be able to automate things like, uh, have you taken your security training, cut off access? Have you taken your privilege training, remove your privilege account? And sharing common identity data with all of our components. Wow, so there's a lot just a of activity going on at Department of Homeland Security. It sounds like you guys are on a roll over there. Colonel, how about at DOD? How are things going over there these days with the identity? Hey, good afternoon, Luke, and thanks so much for having me on the show. Uh, this this year has been pretty exciting in the in the Department of Defense. Uh, the Secretary uh, issued a national defense strategy that has three lines of effort, which identity is a, a an integral part. Sure. Uh, we've got to improve lethality. Uh, 
Uh, we're trying to strengthen alliances and interoperability with uh, partners, and we're trying to execute the reforms the department needs. And obviously, identity is, uh, is central to uh, enabling all of those activities. Uh, additionally, the CIO has established uh, priorities including the cloud, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, the, the network, uh, as well as cybersecurity. So uh, in response to that, uh, we've been putting together an identity credential and access management strategy to uh, enable all of those, uh, including a roadmap uh, by which we'll implement those across the department. Uh, so the uh, implementation roadmap includes uh, capabilities and shared services, uh, as well as significant policy revisions, uh, robusting our governance in this area, uh, as well as really uh, focusing on identity data as the fundamental underpinning for a lot of these capabilities across the very broad mission and activity space of the department. Uh, we're in the process now of doing the investment part of enabling that roadmap, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the, the military departments and the uh, CIO have also em have embraced this as really a, a cornerstone uh, of that cyber risk uh, buy down. In yeah, the you, you know your CIO uh, was up at ELC in Philadelphia. He just got back yesterday, and your CIO was up there, gave a keynote, and he could have been couldn't have been more crisp about the priorities uh, of the uh, for the Department of Defense over the next couple of years. So um, uh, it's fantastic to hear that, uh, Shane. How about that at KPMG? Um, uh, What's what's sort of the state of the state out there? What are you seeing in the community in regards to this fantastic technology? Sure, sure. Thanks, thanks, Luke, for for having me here today. Really, really appreciate it. Excited to uh, participate in this conversation. So, uh, from the KPMG perspective, I think that you know it's important to note not not all agencies are, are quite as advanced as as Amir and his team over at DHS and and, and that mature just yet. And uh, I think that's okay. Yeah, we're in DoD. I mean, these that. guys we are, are uh, exemplars of the right here, way to so do it. We want the audience to recognize that. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So. Um, but some of the agencies that we've been working with, um, uh, one in particular that I've been working with, kind of in the federal uh, financing um, homeowners uh, area, um, ha has just been really great for for me, and it's been exciting to work with because uh, while they're not that advanced, they're committed to doing it the right way, right? So that's something that I I love to see uh, from a client perspective when we go in and. They have the buy-in from the leadership right sure. down, CIO, CTO level, uh, and they're committed to doing things the right way. So they don't just go and, and buy that new hot IM tool that the, that the vendors are, are flashing in front of them. They spend the time uh, to build the strategy and roadmap to really understand where they are today so that they can understand where they want to go to, to kind of meet the goals of their agency. Uh, so it's been, it's been a real uh, pleasure of mine working with them and the, the IAM program office that we've set up there is something that, that I'm really proud of and, and I think that they're really excited about, which, which yeah, makes it exciting for me. Yeah, there's, look, let's face it, OMB has certainly motivated everyone uh, to move along in as far as identity management and clearly we know how credential and credential hijacking uh, has been a major vulnerability, but we also know that you know when you're you're blazing the trail, you know you're 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 uh, in the cutting edge, and and there's some turbulence in doing that, right? And there's a lot of lessons learned that other agencies can use, as the as the technology matures and the, and the processes mature. Jay, how about over at FBI? Uh, what's the state of the program over there in regards to uh, identity? access and management. Well, thank you. It's a great question, Luke, and good morning to you, and thank you for having me back on the panel. Sure. Um, 
we are making steady progress in advancing our IAM programs across the board. Um, we broke it down into two areas. One is the governance aspect. Um, the last time I was on the program, we were just starting to ramp up an IAM council that would represent the various organizations and technologies across the Bureau. Um, had a lot of success in bringing together different um, senior executives and technical architects in driving out some real standardization. Um, most notably, we've started to standardize the attributes as far as identif identifying employees and making sure that they're passed among the various um, disparate systems within the Bureau. From a technology standpoint, um, we've implemented certain um, employee self-service um, applications like password resets, um, things that normally would require a third party to intervene between mm -hmm. a system and another employee. By doing this, we're again eliminating the possibility that there would be some seepage or penetration from password resets as well as delivering 15,000 PIV cards. Um, last year when I was on the program, we had about 2,000 within the FBI. Now we're at 17,000, so it was a big push uh, using the PIV technology to basically ensure that we have uh, good collaboration and facility access across the federal government. And then lastly, we've upgraded our, our internal PKI system to the NSS standard and deliver 19,000 cards across the organization. A big challenge as far as changing our applications to um, one, accept the new NSS standards as well as the distribution of those 19,000 cards that I'll talk a little bit later about. Sure, and I know that was a big commitment uh, on the FBI's part to take that on and uh, from a, just a financial standpoint, from a technological standpoint, et cetera. So I applaud you guys for, for taking, uh, taking that on. Steve, how about at RSA? I, I, I know you guys are right smack in the middle of a lot of these activities that are going on, everything from the CDM stuff, et cetera. Uh, tell us, you know, what's the state of the programs as far as uh, where you guys sit? So thank you, Luke, for having me back. And sure. uh, I, as I look across the DOD and the rest of the federal government, there are a couple things that uh, that really uh, that really come up front. And w one of those is the uh, is the recognition throughout various organizations that you know one form of strong two-factor authentication doesn't fit every scenario. The CAC and PIV dominate uh, authentication. Uh, you know, over a period of time, right? Absolutely, the and PD twelve. Uh, and it, they are fantastic uh, methodologies, but sometimes you need alternative forms of uh, strong authentication. Mm -hmm. And whether it's within the DOD or in FBI, there are multiple places where uh, alternate forms of two-factor authentication are used and used effectively. Yeah. And the fact that these organizations are recognizing that, establishing policy, working through use cases, uh, working with the vendors, and working with the various components within their organizations to make sure that everybody understands this and understands the appropriate place for these technologies to be deployed, I think that's a, that's a big change. Uh, just as a, as a quick story, in the past what would happen, uh, let's say within the DOD, is that you would identify an area where the CAT card might not be appropriate. Mm -hmm. And the organization that had to uh, deploy alternative forms of authentication would have to go and get a waiver. And the waiver would basically say, and, and Colonel Clancy can correct me if I'm wrong on this, the waiver would basically say, if this isn't appropriate, um, you know, it, if you're not able to achieve uh, use of the CAT card within the next uh, six months to a year, you can continue to use this form, this alternative form. But what would happen in practice is that year after year after year, this component would go back and it'd get the waiver. 
So, to make a long story short, what's happened is um, these organizations have decided that there's no reason to have this continuous, you know, reevaluation. That they would look long term and point things out, and make sure the organizations understood policy sort of uh, well enough to deploy alternative forms of two-factor and to keep them deployed in the field without yeah, having to do the intensive. That's a paperwork. very good catch. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, look, we're all part of sort of that wooden mallet technique of just sort of whacking the table and saying you, you must do a cat card, PIF card, you know, two-factor authentication. And of course, a lot of the new te technology came available as well that allowed for a lot of other means for two-factor authentication. And I have to applaud OMB now, and I think they'll reflect that in the new circular that, um, you know, it's really now meeting the spirit and intent, right? They're mm -hmm. also doing this with the tick and some of these other things and moving away from sort of hard and fast and okay what what is the intent of what we're trying to do Absolutely. and allow these new technologies to come into the fold if you will and uh, and solve some of these issues uh, well let's talk about a specific program colonel let's start with you tell us about a specific program that you're working on over there at the uh, at the DOD in regards to implementing these capabilities well, Luca, and I think uh, you know uh, to to Steve's point about the uh, you know the way forward, we're continuing to rely upon PKI, the public key infrastructure, as the sure. backbone mm -hmm. for how we w function in the organization yeah. to identify when things. When it works, you use it, right? It, and it, it, we always come back to that. Yeah. And programmatically, that is really what we have to build on in the Department of Defense. Even though even though we've spent a lot of time expanding those capabilities, supporting additional use cases. Programmatically, it's just the PKI. So as a part of our roadmap, we're trying to identify where do we have these places where it's not a waiver. It's an approved use case where we're using a different type of a credential with a different assurance level. That's appropriate for the sen sensitivity of that mission and the data being exchanged. But we have to figure out how to put that into the, uh, the uh, portfolio as something that we're going to sustain. I think that what we're, what we're finding when we use these alternative credentials as long as you're in a single enclave, that makes a lot of sense. But when we talk about using alternate credentials uh, that are registration-based or something like FIDO, uh, when you want to use that outside of your security boundary, you have to come back to some sort of federation mechanism, and we're still trying to identify how do we build that mm -hmm. so that it is interoperable uh, with all the mission partners that are so key uh, to figuring out how to, how to get the job done. Um, I, I do think, you know, I want to highlight within the PKI framework, uh, DOD is continuing to modify and modernize the CAC card uh, so that it's more PIV-like. Uh, we're going to finish that over the next 18 months. It takes that long right, uh, to sure. switch out uh, a, a credential that's so broadly deployed with over 3 million uh, users. Uh, also, uh, that same PKI program is how we're credentialing on mobile platforms. Uh, so this is purebred uh, capability, which is which has got tens of thousands of uh, deployed credentials actively working. They're enhancing that uh, to include a hardware attestation element uh, that'll give it a higher assurance level, so that it is a truly a peer to the medium hardware PKI that we enjoy on the. CAC. That sounds fantastic. It's Cat Card 2.0, right? Uh, Shane, how about a KPMG? Uh, what, uh, give us uh, an example of a specific program. You touched on one a minute ago uh, that you guys are unpacking and solving some, some big problems. Sure, yeah, and I'd really like to, to add on to, to what Colonel Clancy and, and Steve said. Um, so I think that you know, it's easy for us to, to look at 
uh, you know, authentication methods as how can we make it more secure, right? So we want PIV where we can have PIV. RSA tokens are a great alternative where those don't work, but uh, it, I, I try to encourage my clients to look at it from, from, the, from a different angle, right? So there's a new, new quote-unquote kind of form of, of consumer identity and access management, right? So CIM or customer identity and access management. And this is something that's really, I think, been pioneered from our financial sector side, right? Yeah. Where there's a, a, a strong... end up using it, right? It, exactly, right? So there's a really it strong need. Live, yeah, know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So the need for security is, is, is really clear, right? So you're protecting financial institutions. But the, the way that they look at it is not even from the security side, but it's from that end user side, right? So they go through the journey mapping and, and, and figure out how people use the system and then add security in there to make it work for them, right? So I think that those efforts, if we can apply them even to in the DOD, right? So if we treat our end users as if they're customers, as if they had another choice where they're using our system because they want to, not because that, that they have to. Uh, I think that's a really good way to think about it because it, it helps us build solutions that are better for them, and solutions that are better for them means that they'll think of less ways to go around it and, and subvert it and sure, create more security catch. roles. Jay, how about at the FBI? Give us an example of a specific program that you're drilling into over there. Well, it would definitely be the PIV technology. Mm -hmm. um, we started the implementation um, last fiscal year and it's really taken off. I mean, the technology itself I know has been established for a, a while, but um, we're starting to gather our, our steam and in, in, in pushing out the cards and the other technologies that are needed to support it. The reason for it being such a you know a great effort within the bureau is to you know ensure that we have better ability to collaborate across our different organizations, whether it's between us and OMB or or OPM or any of these other outside organizations. It makes those kinds of you know those kinds of um, um, logical connections easier. Beyond that, the physical access aspects are also amazing. Being able to go into different buildings without having to pass credentials or other security information makes it extremely easy for intelligence analysts and special agents to, again, collaborate with other organizations, access their offices better, making it, again, more efficient for us to um, do our jobs and whatnot. A much broader use of that capability, right, when you're starting to you know, look at the building control systems, et cetera. And, you know, FBI, along with a few other agencies, including Homeland, have that dual role of, you know, sort of sitting in the IC and also sitting in the... Uh, in the uh, the law enforcement world, and you know, um, you know, trying to sort of fuse that capability together is always a, a, a sort of a dual challenge too, it right? Is, uh, We'd love to get to one one Uber, you know, uh, identity access from that perspective as well. It's so difficult. Yeah, times, yeah. Maybe uh, we can touch on that a little bit later. Uh, okay. Well, we're going to take a short break, and we'll come back and uh, talk a little bit more about programs. But uh, for right now, you've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. Disruption waits for no one. So what exactly are you waiting for? At KPMG, we help government agencies embrace new technologies and implement agile operations to meet the needs of a rapidly changing world. We help organizations advance in areas like digital transformation, cognitive analytics, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and much more. It's time to turn today's challenges into tomorrow's opportunities. Become future ready with KPMG. Visit futureadygovernment.com. TIG has consistently delivered innovative technology solutions to U.S. federal government agencies. 
Their ability to help clients stay agile strengthens a commitment that's a vital part of their business achievements and essential to their customers' long-term sustainability. From the data center optimization to cybersecurity, public safety, strategic planning, deployment, and cloud computing, TIG offers custom-built IT solutions with great partners like Dell EMC. To find out more, contact TIG at TIG.com. TIG Enterprise Solutions that powers your agency. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. With me on today's show are Amir DeStora, Department of Homeland Security, Jay Brooks with the FBI, Colonel Clancy, Department of Defense, Shane Cashdollar, KPMG, and Steve Schmaltz from RSA Public Sector. We were talking about programs, specific programs. Amir, give us an example of a specific program over at DHS. Sure. Uh, so one of the specific programs we're working on is actually moving our, our infrastructure over to the cloud. So in doing so, we're building uh, tenants both in Azure and AWS. Mm. And speaking of identity access management, the way that we're moving into Azure is moving our authentication services there first. This is going to build our tenant in Azure and make that reusable by other programs that want to come in. And by moving our ID authentication services followed by our other identity services there first, it really builds this foundational, I'll call it a management layer, a security layer, with our identity services in the cloud. So as tenants come in, we can start offering these uh, authentication services and identity services to each application and each system and each tenant comes in. But the core foundation of our move is starting with building the infrastructure and building the foundation based off of our enterprise identity services. So that's awesome. So you're not really talking about sort of running the, uh, the, um, the, the ICAM in the cloud, so to speak. You're talking about really using the ICAM to access the cloud in this sort of multi-hybrid environment and uh, making sure that you're, uh, you're uh, protecting identities in these different enclaves. Yep. As our perimeter is expanding, right. there's going to be identities and systems all over the place, whether it's software as a service, infrastructure as a service, or the ones on-prem, we're kind of expanding our, our capabilities. Yeah, you know, you, you recognize and realize how important identity becomes in this multi-factored environment. You know, they said data is the new oil, and I would say that, that identity is also the new oil, right, uh, in respect to, uh, uh, you know, uh, this uniqueness of uh, the individual. Steve, how about at uh, RSA? Tell us about a specific program. Well, I'd like to give a shout out to DISA, <coughs> who have been doing some uh, some nice research in this area and, and have been uh, putting programs together to demonstrate how to not just use the classic, you know, who you are, uh, what you have, uh, and what you know, you know, the password, biometric, and some sure. authenticator, mm -hmm. but to take the situation into account. Um, it allows you not only to bring more factors into this identity assurance equation, but it allows you to uh, to let people uh, authenticate in a way that's appropriate to the situation and puts less demand on them. As an example, of if, you, if they're coming to work uh, at headquarters and they're sitting down at a desktop, that's a situation that's common. Uh, it's more than likely to be them. They've come through the building, they've shown their ID. The type of authentication that you need to, the identity assurance you need to put in place there is different than I'm sitting at a Starbucks logging in on a mobile device mm -hmm. uh, with a Wi-Fi that may or, not, may or may not be trusted. So DISA is looking at, at multiple f uh, forms 
multiple parameters in determining the identity of individuals in different situations. So and I think that's a, a great program. Like what Shane, you were talking about with what the banking community is doing, right? Sometimes when I'm logging on to different environments, all of a sudden it challenges me and wants some additional information about, uh, you know, what my circumstances are. Uh, even though I'm sure it's it's sort of read my digital footprint on my uh, device and kind of gone through that algorithm, it recognizes that I'm coming in from a unique environment or a different environment, so it's bringing some more into that calculation, which is right. interesting. As well as factoring behavior in. Right. You know, what websites you visit, uh, at what time of day you visit those websites, mm -hmm. what locations you typically access resources from. All of that's important, and all of that can uh, can be put into this equation, which ultimately gives you strong identity assurance. All this digital dust that we have laying around on our devices, right? Uh, all right, well, let's get into uh, lessons learned. I always like to share with the audience some of the lessons learned. I look at these agencies as sort of the trailblazers, if you will, and certainly these uh, partner vendors that are with us here that, that have a wide footprint on what's going on across the environment. Jay, let's start with you. Just give us some lessons learned as you go on this journey uh, to implement this capability. Uh, what are you discovering out there? So I had some time to think about this over the year, and um, I, you know, I, I would sum it up as one size doesn't fit all. <laughs> so. Um, as we were moving forward with our NSS PKI implementation, um, we did start what's to... What's NSS so people understand what that is? the National uh, Security Standard um, uh, a program that basically um, ensures that there's a um, you know, standard a way of handling um, identity access management. But um, what we encountered was the fact that the FBI that does straddle the IC and the law enforcement has a more distributed environment. Whereas the PKI environment that is promoted by NSS is more centralized. Mm -hmm. So that means that issuing cards takes a great deal more time to get it into the hands of the field operators. Um, meaning there was like an extreme slowdown of trying to you know, ensure that customers were getting the accesses they need as their old certificate types of security systems started to expire. The other challenge that we faced was the actual integration of the new technologies into our applications. When we were doing the initial testing and deployment work, everything works fine, it looks good, until again you get into the everyday usage. And then you start to see that yes, even though you have a green light and the applications and systems are working, they act a little bit differently. They might slow down the process. They might add additional hurdles for you know, employees to actually overcome being challenged with different pins, those kinds of things that, again, just change the work dynamic of an individual and their ability to deliver a product. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I recall some of the uh, challenges you guys also have with dealing with the state and locals and those local police departments and the LEO program, right? That's a whole other level of That's identity correct. that you guys are dealing with and trying to access some of those systems. Steve, how about at RSA? Uh, give us an example of some lessons learned there that uh, you're discovering that you'd like to share with the audience. So. Uh, I guess probably one of the important lessons that we've learned is this concept of governance, uh, not from setting out a set of rules that your employees or that uh, uh, that your uh, that individuals need to follow, but in getting a buy-in from those individuals that they, to take responsibility for their roles in an organization. So we were talking about um, we were talking about um, access management, 
and although it's it's important to make sure that you check to see if an individual should or should not have access before the before they're allowed to start using a resource it's also important to make sure that you communicated with the right people before you gave them access so often what happens is that people get access to resources um, uh, through a process that doesn't check with the owner of that resource. Mm. It doesn't check to see whether or not that individual uh, is in the right situation to get access to that resource. Mm -hmm. It doesn't look at all of the parameters. Uh, and with this concept of governance, making sure that everyone is involved in a decision and everybody uh, buys into their role, not just the individuals who are requesting access, but the individuals who own the application, that they have a responsibility to make sure that they control who has, has access to the application. Uh, that within the IT department, that they understand that just being uh, a rubber stamp uh, to request isn't the right way to go that yeah, they need to bring the right individuals involved. Right. You know, we want to make sure that it's definitely Steve that's logging on, logging on to these environments. We want to make sure that Steve's been properly credentialed as he received those credentials. We want to make sure but we Steve also has, want Steve yeah. to, to recognize, as you're saying, that uh, Steve actually does indeed have the authority to access these systems, and that was vetted properly. So and that's the a... Right individuals right. know that Steve has access yeah, to that yeah, resource. Interesting uh, dynamic there. Um, uh, the different nuance as you're, you're, you're looking at this uh, multi-factor uh, environment. Uh, Colonel Clancy, how about uh, lessons learned at the DOD as you're implementing and embarking on this, I'm calling it uh, PIVCAR 2.0, or uh, we'll call it CATCAR 2.0 in your case. Well, I, you know, I think, Luke, that's a, that's a great uh, part of the, the lessons learned is that because we have this, this uh, um, ecosystem of credentials we're trying to foster that that preserve that assurance level uh, we also have uh, you know different environments like the cloud where we're trying to provide a, uh, a more consistent uh, authentication and authorization assurance environment we're, we're finding that there's kind of two places where we need to make sure that we're uh, providing an adequately formed set of capabilities in the architecture the first is uh, as an identity provider you know where we understand what are all the uh, what are all the authenticators in a space? How do they correspond to people and non-people? You talked about IoT and some of these robotic process automation and right. and uh, AI. All of those things we don't want to put place the burden for configuration management and planning at every resource that's in the environment. We want to use the architecture in these services to sort of uh, provide a consistent, uh, adequate. Uh, you know, presentation of mm -hmm. the trust and the assurance uh, to a to a specific relying party. Mm -hmm. The other one is on the authorization side, mm -hmm. uh, just like we were talking about. And uh, in, in terms of lifecycle management, we've got people coming, we've got people going. We don't need to create a mechanism where we connect every one of those uh, relying parties back to the authoritative. Uh, identity attributes for people and things. We have to find a way to consolidate that and also present to the auditors, whether they're cybersecurity, insider threat, or even the financial management services folks, they have to be able to see across a broad set of uh, relying parties who has access to what and is that correct based on a fairly uh, complex and increasingly complex set of rules. So from, from a Department of Defense perspective, this identity provider, that authentication federation, as well as this uh, 
provisioning and uh, authorization lifecycle management are really the, the cornerstones of let's set something as a fundamental that we can continue to evolve over time as we understand better what's happening in yeah, the space. Yeah, I think about things like uh, also, you know, what comes up a lot now is this continuous authorization issue that, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys will touch on or this is the whole dormant account thing just scares the heck out of me. Um, Shane, how about at KPMG, you know, you see a lot of different things out there. What do you see as far as the lessons learned that maybe several of your uh, clients, yeah. you know, continue to sort of, you know, stumble into? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, th those are some good, good answers that I think we just heard, right? So, I mean, the, the lesson that I've learned over my time in IM is that <clears throat> simply IM is really hard. I mean, it, it's, it's a difficult... Uh, uh, program implement the tools are different. The, the 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 ideas are complex. Well, you're touching everything. You're touching right? everything, and um, so I mean, the, the lesson that I've always learned is that uh, you have to come at it from the right angle, right? You need to start with top level kind of management buy-in, organizational level support, and they need to understand how I am ties into the mission of the agency, right? So if that. If that tie-in isn't there, uh, you're, you're going to lose support either right then or eventually when things get bogged down. And uh, it will. It will get bogged down because, like I said, IM is difficult. Like all the, all the new technologies that we're seeing, uh, the, those aren't going to stop, right? So right now we're, we're doing things like moving to the cloud and we're starting to talk about you know, intelligent automation and, and bots on the network and, and those things. And those are new challenges that we kind of have to continually face. And you have to start with that, that organizational level buy-in and having everyone there as much as possible understand how IAM fits and supports that mission, not hinders it uh, to be able to be successful in any kind of implementation. And look, this bots are real. I mean, if you look at the whole RPA, you know, evolution, I mean, it's exploding out there. And I think certainly in the federal government, you're going to see a lot more of that. Amir, you guys have been blazing a trail over there in a, a variety of ways. Um, can you share some lessons learned that as the other agencies that are that are you know uh, in the process of, of some of the stuff you've uh, blazed through that you could share with them, uh, giving them a heads up of things to be thinking about? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I'll name a couple. The first one that comes to mind is is really executive buy-in. Mm -hmm. uh, you heard uh, Jay talk about this in his Identity Access Management Council. Talked about Colonel Clancy with the CIO strategy from Department of Defense. Uh, similarly, at Homeland Security, uh, we have a, a governance council for ICAM as a whole with our CIO and CSO uh, chairing it for the department. But specifically for our, our lifecycle management or identity governance, we have all of the CXOs for the management directorate chairing a body for this. We take them all of our priorities, we take them the decisions, we take them the blockers, mm. and they really are able to pave the path for us and knock down our hurdles. This is really what's caused us to be able to collaborate across offices, join data across our offices, get that cleaned up, and really change business processes to make these programs successful. So that's number one big ticket item. Get the executive buy-in, because every time you have a challenge, they'll help you knock it down. Yeah. Uh, the second item, uh, you heard Shane talk about this in terms of customer-driven. Uh, we have the same mentality in terms of really listen and hear the voice of your customer. Um, while it's great, and I completely agree with compliance and, and making sure that we're in line with policy. The wooden mallet. Right, but ultimately you need to be able to provide your customers what they're looking for. So sure. we have uh, an agenda, we have a backlog of things that we need to get done. We prioritize them. But to be honest with you, we, we move in an agile fashion. Every time I hear a customer of mine, whether it's a component, a financial system facing an audit finding, 
one of the CXOs of our council that says they have a specific challenge that we can solve, I prioritize those higher. And as I'm able to meet these customer-driven challenges, I gain more and more support through the organization, and they back our services more, allowing them to expand. And when we get to those hard decisions, we've built that customer buy-in, we've built that executive buy-in, and we're able to achieve more collectively. I think it's great. You know, I, I, I uh, joke tongue-in-cheek about the uh, the wooden mallet, but I mean, we kind of did go through that, right? It was sort of one size, and, and, and that was it. And, uh, you know, you're going to eat your peas whether you like it or not. And, uh, and it somewhat worked, um, but you know, with the evolution of the, again, the new technology that's available and, and OMB's willingness to meet the spirit and intent, I think those two things have allowed you to be more flexible, more customer focused. And I hear governance a lot, which is interesting that you typically didn't hear in this, uh, in this type of a, a forum. Well, I'm gonna move over to challenges, and this is always an area that we love to, uh, once again, uh, highlight so that people can think about that and <clears throat> look at ways that you've overcome those perhaps. Uh, let's start with you, Jay, at the FBI. You know, what is a sort of the one or two challenges, hurdles that you're trying to work through or perhaps have worked through in regards to uh, implementing this capability? So, I mean, uh, there's, there's, there's three broad challenges, complexity, diversity, and controlling cost. Um, you know, as new IAM technologies um, become available, we don't seem to be reducing the complexity of the environment or the diversity of the environment. It's ever increasing. Um, the FBI runs three different security enclaves. We have three different credentialing um, solutions that have to be managed and maintained. Um, so again, the costs that are driven from that are enormous to, in some cases. And there's this tendency to believe that it's just a card. It doesn't cost that much, but these cards are quite expensive. Right. And the... Well, the multiplying by, you know, tens of thousands. I, exactly. Sure. Uh, yeah. And then you, the underlying technologies, because sometimes the card changes, then the devices that read the cards need to change, and that is millions of dollars mm -hmm. as well. So, again, those kinds of challenges need to be thought ahead of time as you start to explore these types of technologies. You've got to, again, take into consideration what those future year costs will be in making sure that you're upgrading. Additionally, we're now toting around more and more devices, whether it's cards or tokens. We have people that have three or four or more cards dangling from their neck, whether it's the newer technologies or the more traditional technologies. Cards that you know separately get you into a, an FBI building, but don't get you into any other building. Or cards that get you access to a system on the enclave side won't get you into a system on some other enclave. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I think a lot of our challenge has got to be how do we come up with a technology solution that we can collapse some of these IAM devices and control our costs? Because again, I'm going to stress the fact that. For every device that you produce, that you basically deploy, you have to have a staff that maintains it, and those costs become incredible over time. Sure, sure. Well, we're talking about challenges, and we're going to take a short break, and we'll come back and talk some more about those. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. Disruption waits for no one. So what exactly are you waiting for? At KPMG, we help government agencies embrace new technologies and implement agile operations to meet the needs of a rapidly changing world. We help organizations advance in areas like digital transformation, cognitive analytics, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and much more. 
It's time to turn today's challenges into tomorrow's opportunities. Become future ready with KPMG. Visit futureadygovernment.com. TIG has consistently delivered innovative technology solutions to U.S. federal government agencies. Their ability to help clients stay agile strengthens a commitment that's a vital part of their business achievements and essential to their customers' long-term sustainability. From the data center optimization to cybersecurity, public safety, strategic planning, deployment, and cloud computing, TIG offers custom-built IT solutions with great partners like Dell EMC. To find out more, contact TIG at TIG.com. TIG Enterprise Solutions that powers your agency. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. With me on today's show are Amir Destora, Department of Homeland Security, Jay Brooks with the FBI, Colonel Clancy, Department of Defense, Shane Cashdollar, KPMG, and Steve Schmaltz with Public Sector RSA. We were talking about challenges and we're going to throw it over to you, Shane, and uh, give us uh, some examples of the challenges that you're seeing out there yeah. as your clients are trying to implement this capability. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I think we, you know, it's come up again through this kind of conversation is how important that organizational top-level management buy-in is, right? And you've, right. you heard Amir talk heard about that a lot today. Yeah, you heard Amir talk about the the level of support that they have at DHS and 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 look how successful they've been when they have that support. So, um, I think that you know th- that's the main challenge. So to talk about how you achieve it, right? It's, it's one thing to say like we need it, but like, how do we get it? Uh, you know, we, we always encourage our clients to. To, to have goals, right? You got to make sure you have them first because that's let's level set. Where, where are we trying to go with this program? And then it's around uh, kind of performance metrics, identifying them, tracking them, transparency into your program, and then accountability for your program, right? So don't make that senior leadership guess how your program's going. Uh, have a really clearly defined set of kind of key performance indicators, track them, put it up to them. If you have those, you can actually determine ROI, right? I think ROI has been talked about in IAM for a long time as something that should be there. Maybe sometimes it is, maybe sometimes it isn't. But uh, if you really get into those kind of KPIs, track it, have the transparency in your program, you can really demonstrate ROI, which does exist for these programs. And and if you want buy-in, show them some ROI and and, and you'll you'll get it. Good blocking and tackling on program management. Amir, how about a DHS? Uh, What about the challenges as you guys... uh, blaze the trail on this journey. Sure, so some of the specific challenges, uh, I'll start with data. Uh, As I mentioned, what Mm -hmm. we've done is really put a lot of our systems together. We've correlated, combined all these systems that used to be separate. As we join them together and make decisions based on identity and decisions based on access, you quickly learn that the data is really not up to par. Um, Not necessarily sanitized, not necessarily normalized, and you have to spend a lot of time making sure that, that people are managing data because we're starting to make decisions off of it. We're moving towards entitlements and attributes and policies, and if you don't have the right data in your systems to make those decisions, it makes that hard. So Mm -hmm. we spend a good considerable amount of time on each of our rollouts or each of our phases of our projects making sure whatever data we're using gets sanitized. Um, Other than that, a couple others, business process changes, manual processes. Again, as we strive more towards automation, it causes change. So change management and communications are huge challenges. So those those are really the solutions to the problem. But as we roll out to the organizations, convincing people to do things a little bit differently, convincing manual processes to be automated, uh, forms to be made more electronic, uh, those all come with challenges that are overcome by a good communications program, a good change management program, and good awareness. 
Uh, and finally, again, as we strive towards uh, enterprise services and consolidation, we always try to keep in mind what is good for enterprise versus component, because obviously we don't want to impact mission and we don't want to negatively disrupt operations, but we want to try to centralize where we can so that trade-off of what makes sense as enterprise and what should stay local for local authorization and local decisions from an identity perspective is another challenge that we continuously try to uh, overcome. Delicate balance there, right, uh, all the time in, in regards to uh, laying out your enterprise but allowing you to execute as a component driving those missions. Colonel, how about at DOD? What about the challenges there that you're uh, recognizing? Well, uh, I think Amir just laid out uh, a great uh, synopsis of, of the dynamics in a large organization, uh, sure all did. of this. Uh, that was great. Uh, I, I think, you know, you, you kind of you said this before. I mean, identity is really a team sport. Uh, and getting all those players on the same page to make these moves and, and move the change is really hard because, you know, when you, when you talk about what is identity, you're talking about how do you bring all of your people, all of their authorities and missions, and make that something that is workable and as a uh, as a group and interoperable in the networks. I mean, that's basically every every facet of an organization, every authority, whether it's personnel, security, human resources. You've got uh, financial authorities in the space. Everything that has to do with your mission, you're trying to carry across as a part of that person's digital identity and make it available to the applications. That's a lot of stuff. So you've got to have a you've got to make sure that you have a broad team at the table and understand what is the problem that you're actually trying to solve. And that gets back to the that gets back to uh, governance. If you if you look at identity through any specific narrow focus, you're not going to see the actual problem that your organization mm -hmm. is trying to solve. Sure. It touches your uh, performance as an organization and your mission. It it gets to how you can uh, perform at lowest cost while being effective, and also this all all the cybersecurity and mission. Uh, identity is all of those things. So bringing the right people to the table and making sure you're solving an adequately framed problem is always a challenge. Yeah, sort of this holistic view of identity. Uh, Steve, how about at RSA? Uh, what are the challenges that you're seeing out there that, uh, you know, perhaps uh, these various clients are encountering that uh, most notably RSA is probably solving? Well, I, I, one of the big challenges is the is using uh, your understanding of, uh, of the various individuals in the organization, their behavior when it comes to looking for threats. So almost every one of these major, all these major organizations have security operations centers whose job it is to monitor network traffic, endpoint, uh, aggregate logs. Bringing um, information about individuals and individuals' behavior into that equation makes things a lot easier. Not only helps you determine the insider threat, but it helps you uh, it helps you cut down on the number of things you need to look at. If you know the behavior of individuals as they log on a network, and if you can bring all the information that you've gathered from your identity assurance framework into that security operations center and effectively use that, then you can make it a lot more likely that you'll identify threats as, as they start uh, appearing within your organization. Sure. So to me, I think that's one of the bigger challenges. How to take all the identity assurance mechanisms, framework, knowledge, and bring it into that front line, the Security Operations Center, looking for that next uh, advanced persistent threat. Right, right. And as these uh, 
these bad actors get more sophisticated, you know, it's almost like a, an arms race, if you will, there. Um, well, we're gonna we're gonna uh, start with uh, some wrap-up questions. We got a little over uh, ten minutes left, and uh, I always like to look at the future, sort of paint a picture out there, and and uh, you know look over the horizon a little bit. We're gonna start with you, Steve, at the end of the table, walk our way back. We might have a little uh, turbo round at the end if we've got a couple of minutes, but. Uh, Tell us about the future. What does it look like out there? I'm not talking 10 years out there. I'm talking, you know, two and three years out there. You know, this, this technology is moving at a tectonic shift. The environment's moving at a tectonic shift. You know, um, what's it look like out there? So, so to us, the future looks like uh, a future focused on identity assurance, bringing in all of the factors that you need to authenticate someone, then making sure that the right governance infrastructure is in place, uh, to make sure that they're looking at resources they're supposed to be looking at and everybody has been involved in making those decisions and that information as I just mentioned previously is integrated into your threat detection mechanisms in your organization so that you can help recognize threats as they evolve. In other words what we see is sort of the aggregation of all of the existing technologies all of which work in isolation very well but bringing them holistically together um, to provide that extra factor of security that organizations are looking for. I think there's a lot of technologists and probably more importantly a lot of managers who manage those technologists that would love to see some of this stuff get homogenized and rolled up and so that they're not dealing with this digital soup if you will Absolutely. and trying to manage this stuff. All right Jay, uh, what's the future look like? Are we ever going to get to the point where a special agent's only going to have one card on them and not three or four? When I was at DOJ I think I had six. Um, you're, you're in top form then. I yeah. mean, there, there are contests actually as to who has many, yeah. has the, the most cars. Um, two to three years out, um, so not an awful long time to look, look ahead in, but um, two words, consolidation and elimination. So looking at technologies like PIV cards, how do we use that to eliminate some token-based solutions as well as some of the physical security solutions that we have. These could be extremely cost savings for the FBI and we do have plans you know, being drawn up as far as doing some piloting in these areas about how do we consolidate some of these technologies and eliminate, eliminate some of these multi-factor solutions. And then how do we look at deploying um, some identity provisioning types of, of technologies that can eliminate passwords. That's another challenge that we have and that is the continuing use of sign-on and passwords and the maintenance of those types of attributes for people. Um, by oh, using passwords were dead. Um, yeah, you would think so, but they're not. <laughs> and, and again, it, it is just more of a cost and more of an inefficiency within an organization to do that. I mean, you're challenged all the time. If we have cards and we have tokens, why do we still need passwords? But yet you do. And there are technologies that can help you get to that single sign-on you know, nirvana that people are constantly pursuing. How do we eliminate that? It's by looking at some of these more um, exotic technologies to make it happen. Sure, sure. Uh, Shane, how about at KPMG? What, what does the future look like uh, when you guys look over the horizon, if you will? Yeah. I think the, the future of IM is, is exciting, and I'm, I'm excited to, to see where it goes, uh, to see where it's come from in the past few years. And, and I think, you know, the kind of recurring theme is the consolidation, right? Being able to leverage stuff that other agencies have done uh, so you don't have to redo it, you don't have to rebuild it. And I think, you know, Amir touched on it earlier, that kind of data normalization is such an important 
under uh, component of that to be able to enable that to work, and, and we're, we're seeing real progress in that. So I think that's something that, that we're going to get to in the next couple of years where I don't have to go build a new access management system. I don't have to re-engineer my identity proofing process, which I think we're going to see a lot of uh, neat advancements in the next couple of years for remote identity proofing, uh, smartphone facial recognition, biometric capture, uh, that way where you can really increase the assurance level of the, the authentication and identity proofing events without making it much more intrusive on the end user, right? So that, that's, that's great for everyone. Then you combine that to the... Uh, uh, authentication token and then use it across agencies right once that that kind of integration is done and uh, that's going to lead to a, a lot more happy end users and a lot uh, more cost savings for agencies and I think it's it's going to be uh, interesting to see it work. proofing has really uh, matured over the last couple of years and I think these with the onset of sort of using AI and mm -hmm. and and really running algorithms against all that capability that digital dust if you will along with these other attributes it appears that you know the, uh, the 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 rate, the accuracy rate on that is is phenomenal, right? And it's only going to get better, particularly as the AI gets better and the you know we we learn more and the the machines uh, get taught more. But also just because of you know there's going to be more digital dust out there, if you will, good or bad. Uh, Colonel Clancy, how about at DoD? What does a what does a future look like? Will there ever be a uh, a PIV card that's a cat card and it all becomes one and I, I mean, I, th yeah. I think uh, you know the, one of the one of the things I would I would describe it. You know, this multi-fabric environment is is one of the things that I think the data folks, when when we really understand as an organization what data can bring to the table, and we start re-engineering the network around that, we're going to see a bunch of things fundamentally change, mm -hmm. and and identity has to be a part of that network refactoring. Right now, we're really uh, kind of prisoners of the user session, right? Sure. People build applications and mm -hmm. services so that people can interact with them. <clears throat> when that's no longer enough and we need uh, IoT devices or, or robotic process automation type things or, you know, uh, advanced uh, AI software, when, they need, when we need them to be as dynamic and as empowered in the network uh, operating with larger sums of data, you know, we're going to have to figure out how to bring them on. How do we proof? How do we uh, maintain or uh, assert suitability and, and fitness and maintain that for, sure. for, for those types of devices? I, th I think uh, we're going to have to we're going to have to pace ourselves. Uh, I, what I'm what I'm concerned about is we get to where we really understand what data can do for us, mm -hmm. and then we have to wait to build in the uh, fundamental identity part for all those uh, new devices. Yeah, you can't outstrip the supply line, right? I mean, it's very important to you know have a good balance there as far as you know the ability to implement the stuff and the ability to absorb it. And I know that you know somebody talked about these legacy environments, right? Just trying to. Uh, you know, identity proof the, 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 you know, sort of the edge, but having to deal with some of these back-end systems that, you know, can't accept some of this technology in a way that, you know, the two just don't, you know, work very well together. And, and I, I think this, I think All when we... All the more reason why we need to modernize our entire environments, right? I, yeah. I, I think that's absolutely right. And, and we have to take a data-centric approach to identity as a part of the larger network and cybersecurity uh, systems. Uh, what, what we were talking about before in terms of act identity and trying to bring more environmental factors to the network, you might, you might look at it in terms of retrospective versus inline. Right now, we have a lot of uh, advanced analytic capabilities that can ingest all these sources from our cybersecurity defense in depth uh, devices and, and systems and retrospectively figure out that there's bad things happening in the network. And we, we get that attribution. 
What I think we need to do is as we identify what those really useful conclusions are, we have to figure out how do we bring that into the user session so the relying party can be a part of making a determination using all this rich uh, identity information make that available to the relying party so they can make better policy divisions. Sure, decisions. and I think this is where this <coughs> continue authorization is really important too, as they sort of bring that into that sort of log-on environment, if you will. Amir, uh, tell us about the future, right? Well, what's, what's, sort of, what's cooking over there at DHS in regards to you know, painting a picture on how we're going to be looking at identity into the future. Sure. So I'll touch on three three different topics uh, for the future. Uh, the first one's really a combination of what everyone's been talking about and kind of the buzzword for zero trust networks. Mm -hmm. So um, we talked about on-prem. We've talked about cloud. Uh, Steve mentioned that you have your user on your desktop, but also a mobile device at a Starbucks. So we don't know where the people are coming from and our environments more distributed. So kind of the whole framework of assume that the, 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 the threat is already inside. Uh, with that, we already have good grasp of identity. We know who our peoples are. I mentioned uh, through the data cleanup and other things we're doing, we have a good grasp of the attributes we have. Uh, but Luke, to your point about kind of these bots and Internet of Things, but it's also about the devices that people use to authenticate. So it's really being able to identify the person, what device they came on, and making more fine-grained access control decisions based on the combination of those environments right. to all of our systems and data. So that whole zero, zero threat uh, concept. The second one that was also touched upon, uh, which I strongly also believe with Colonel Clancy and Steve also, is the behavior analytics. Really understanding what our users are doing, when they're doing it, how they're doing it, and the automation and machine learning that you mentioned, you're able to paint a better picture of even though this is a credentialed guy that I've seen before, well, he's not really acting like his self today. Is it really him? Is he up to no good? Did someone compromise him? And through that learning and analytics and combination of security and identity, you can really paint that picture of is this the right actor and are they doing the right thing? Finally, this isn't really blazing in the future. It's kind of a continuation, but I, I believe standards will continue to evolve. Uh, I still think that integration is the hardest part. We build these identity services, but as we bring our applications and systems and consumers on, we're still spending way too much development and engineering resources integrating our applications with these services. Uh, so things like standards for provisioning like SKIM, uh, continued authentication, where we see SAML still prevalent, OpenID, FIDO. So as these standards kind of continue, um, I'm hoping that the applications work. And, and kind of on the password issue, uh, I think we killed password at, at, at the layer. I, I think we're good at the network. We're good at the mission essential. But I also think that we push passwords in the closet because there's still a lot of legacy out sure. there that sure. really needs to evolve and we can really kill password for good. Someday we will, but until then, uh, we want to thank the, the, uh, the folks here. I want to thank the guests for taking the time on, our busy schedule, on your busy schedules to join us for uh, this program. I'd like to thank the sponsors for Without We Don't Have a Show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Radio that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank the listening audience out there who tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. Thank you for listening to the 2018 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 13 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety on Federal News Radio, a part of the Federal News Network, and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.